Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started the Sendcast a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff you can go and read, but we're all really busy and we don't have the time. Everyone working in schools needs training and support around SEND, but the funding isn't there to achieve this. We created the Sendcast to try and help solve that problem, to help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND, and to help support staff be more aware. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same consistent message to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that has come along to talk about an area they are passionate about. And this week, my guest is Joanna Grace. Joanna is a sensory engagement and inclusion specialist. And Joanna has come along to talk about identity first, language and belonging. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. And over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Over the last few years, we've diversified. For years, we have focused on assessment, and this will always be our main focus. But we have seen a lack of high-quality, easy-to-access training in CPD for schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started a couple of years ago with the virtual SEND conference, but now contains a wide range of training courses and our free SEND briefings. Go to www.trainingforeducation.com to find out more. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing identity first language. Are they an autistic person or a person with autism? Discussing this topic with me is Joanna Grace. Joanna is a sensory engagement and inclusion specialist, doctoral researcher, author, trainer, TEDx speaker, founder of the Sensory Project, very long list. Joanna has worked with people with learning difficulties or disabilities and neurodivergent conditions aged from birth to 87. Welcome to the show, Joanna. Thank you. And I suppose we should also say Joanna is autistic. Joanna is autistic. Sounds like Joanna doesn't, hasn't decided what she's doing with that big long list, but they all overlap. They're all sort of the same thing in different versions. Does sound very impressive when it's such a long list. <laughs> I know. I think. I think. Uh, I was watching a dating show once, and the lady was introducing herself by this: "I'm a this, and I'm a that, and I'm a that." And they went, "It just sounds like you're having some sort of crisis. You need to pick one. <laughs> Choose one." <laughs> yeah. So years ago, I used to use an autistic person or a person with autism interchangeably, but I was then told by a professional that the preferred term was a person with autism. But that isn't true, is it? It depends who you ask. That's the thing. I've seen lots of arguments either for. And generally, what always comes out is the autistic community prefer the term, I am autistic. Yeah. Yeah. Because as a community, we identify with the condition in the same way that the deaf community identify with being deaf. The deaf community are very clear that they say, I am deaf. They don't say, I am a person with deafness. They say, I am a deaf person. And the distinction is that idea of this being a, a cultural thing, this being a valid existence, this not being something wrong or bad with you that you would want to distance yourself from. Because the respect shown in the person first language, which is 
is genuine respect is to say that I see this person. And by the way, they also have this other thing going on for them. But this other thing doesn't define who they are. You know, for example, the Down syndrome community would use person first language. I'm a person with Down syndrome. Down syndrome doesn't define who I am. It's just one aspect. You know, it's something that I, you know, encounter in my daily life. Whereas the difference for the autistic community is that it does very much define who we are. And so for us, it's identity first language. And obviously, I cannot speak on behalf of all autistic people. That would be a very dangerous thing to do. But if you look at surveys that have been done or research that has been done, the vast majority of autistic people prefer identity first language. Because it is interesting when you think of that person first, and you sit there and go, I am, like, I am Joanna, I am me. Yeah. But you can't, that's the thing, you can't really separate the autism part. No. I'm Dale and I'm tall. I'm tall Dale. My height is part of me. And yeah. being autistic is part of you and cannot change it. That's it. The with is a judgment. When you use that with, you are saying that whatever you put after it is negative and you want to distance the person from it. And not that you would necessarily think that the thing that you put after it is particularly bad and awful. I would describe myself as a person with wrinkles. You know, I'm fine with having my wrinkles, but I don't feel like they're an identifying part of me. But there is no part of me. You know, if I was to take away the wrinkles, just imagining Botox and dermal fillers now, I could remove the wrinkles, hopefully, and I would still be me. But there is absolutely no way of removing autism and still being me because I am fundamentally autistic. There's no part of me that's not. There's no with there. There's no separation between me and being autistic. Yeah, so I've done podcasts with before about the benefit or use of labels. Do we even need them, which is a whole other conversation. And so one of the things I mentioned before we even started, I mentioned that it's, and this is something as I sit there and going, is that term is autistic, is the decision of whose, whose decision it is to say that. And there's lots of that as well. So I go, oh, this is my friend, Joanna, she's autistic. You're going... Did I need that in this context? Is there a benefit in this context? And that's a that thing. It's a very contextualized situation. But if I introduced you to some, I said, this is Joanna, she is autistic. Would, should I ask you first if I should do that? What's that sort of, from your point of view? So there's two things you've said there. You've said, who decides what the terminology is? And obviously, the most respectful thing to do is always to use the terminology that person prefers. So if you get the chance to have that, you know, do you want to be an autistic person or a person with autism first? Or if you pick it up from things they say, then you would always do that. It is slightly more complicated than that because you will find people using terminology that they've been taught, that they've acquired from, you know, the culture, the culture of the setting around them that is actually harmful to them. And I think when you think about those things, it's easier to appreciate it if you look at a community who are further along in this journey, because the progress with regards to autism awareness, and I'm very aware that Autism Awareness Month is coming up, and that is a month that a lot of autistic people are frightened of, find incredibly difficult. 
because of the amount of misinformation that is perpetuated during that month. The next step on is people who are looking for autism acceptance because they're saying like everybody's aware of autism now. It's not like, you know, do you remember when the film Rain Man came out and it was the first time anybody knew what an autistic person was and then forever afterwards, if you're autistic, you must be able to count matchsticks like Rain Man can. That was the start of awareness. You know, movies like that created awareness. We've got awareness now. You know, there's nobody that you would stop on the street who wouldn't have heard of being autistic. What we need now is acceptance. So the next move on is this push for acceptance. And if you look at, I was thinking of comparable communities, the gay community is a very comparable community with regards to the journey towards identity and acceptance and belonging that they've been on. If you think of the gay community in what, like the 1950s, you would have people who would separate themselves from their gayness. You know, I'm a Bob and, you know, sometimes I'm a bit gay, but it's not, you know, it's not who I am. You would have organizations set up to help you be less gay. You still have cure therapies for gayness. And interestingly, the root, the originator of the cure therapies for gayness is the same guy who invented some of the cure therapies for autism. So not only are we comparable communities, there's also quite a lot of overlap. And if you listen to a gay person now with the modern ear and they said, oh, I'm you know, I'm Joe and I experience gayness, you'd be a bit worried about them. Yes. Because you'd want them to be saying, I'm Joe and I'm gay, you know, and that's great. Use of language, it's not just a personal thing, is it? No. Language is a cultural phenomenon. And so you will get people using language that isn't edifying for them, that isn't helpful to them in the same way that you would have with gay people. But I think it's harder to see because we're sort of in it now. It's happening all around us now, whereas the looking back on the gay community and recognising the identity first language there is empowering is a much easier thing to do. It's, it's interesting that there is a lot of comparisons between the two sort of that you can compare the two communities. And yeah, the various cures or... Both is starting with saying I've read various bits of research and why people like or dislike various things. And there's a lot of arguments against various things. Please go do your own research. Yeah. But there is there's a lot done. What I'd also say about being gay and being autistic is they're both invisible. Yeah. So it's almost like you've got to come out either way. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's autism dar as well in the way that there's gay dar. Yes. I feel like I can spot people. Yes, definitely. Definitely. That's the thing. So it's becoming aware of oh, autism exists and then there's understanding it a bit more. And then I think you do, after a while, develop yeah, autism dart. You do literally sit there. <laughs> I remember going to my daughter's school to help out and I was like, one, two, three. <laughs> but it was interesting. It was that boy's style of autism. Mm-hmm. I could spot that. Yeah. Now I've learned even more. And I did the podcast with Sarah Jane Critchley on girls in autism. Yeah. Autistic girls, autistic girls. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm learning. It was really interesting when she talks about how they present. And I'm now looking back going, might be another couple, which I just didn't realize because they were quiet and things like that. But yeah, I do, yeah, definitely think 
there's a lot of things. And I think being gay, you know within you. Yeah. And it's your choice. But interesting. Not a choice. No, a choice. Your choice to come out is what I meant. That's why not a choice being gay. Not a choice. Yeah. It's your choice when to come out. Again, that choice might not really be yours because of the pressures and the social around you. Yeah, you might or you might get spotted, yeah. Yes. You might get outed. You probably won't get diagnosed anymore. It used to be a medical diagnosis. But with being autistic, it's generally you may not know anything about it. It's sometimes and often it's someone else going, Oh, you could be autistic. Yeah, I wonder because very common when you speak to autistics who are able to articulate this, and I'm very aware that as I'm speaking I am an autistic person who can articulate these things and I don't want the other people in the spectrum to be lost from this conversation. But you hear people going, I knew I was different. I always knew I was different, but I wouldn't have known what that difference was. And I wonder, I bet you could have found gay people who, you know, lived in a little rural town who knew they were not like the other children, but couldn't put their finger on what it was until they met you know, until they encountered a representation of themselves. We're living in an age of identity politics, aren't we? And we know how valuable it is to people of all identities to encounter representations of themselves in art and culture and in books. Well, book day, as we're recording today, really important to have them in books. But sometimes it's interesting. I did a podcast with Alison Knowles about identity. And it's interesting because often the first portrayals in the media can often be quite scary or there's so much hype around it that it's almost built up to be oh my god it's this thing happening and you watch it and it's very divisive it's often the first times it's go on it's people will have spark it sparks off debate which i'm happy in most situations we're well past that yeah i think it's another one the link with the gay community works really well, doesn't it? Because you had on television people like Kenneth Williams before, you know, being gay is publicly acceptable, but Kenneth Williams and his super campness was fine. And it's just like the whole world wasn't like, we we all love him, but we won't mention that we know what he really is, you know. Yes. And you would have had members of the gay community going, I'm not like that. I'm not camp. I'm butch, you know, and he doesn't represent me. The start out point is always, you know, to have a few and it's likely that those few that you have will be extremes in some way. And you think of what we see of autism on the television now, you see families who are experiencing huge barriers to access and communication and people who are leading really challenged lives. They get featured on specialist programs looking at that. And then you get, oh, we had, the undateables where you, you've got autistic people on there which is a, like a different place on the spectrum and I remember recently when Christine McGuinness and Melanie Sykes came out as autistic how thrilling that was for me to see you know a sort of not like me but certainly a lot closer to like me than I've seen before and Greta Thunberg as well you know and it, she's particularly interesting because autism is the reason that she's where she is and what she is because autistic people are known for having very 
black and white, right and wrong minds. And that's the little girl that went, this is wrong. Yeah. And was just going to say it. <laughs> that's a very autistic thing to do. And it was fascinating because she's, is yes, her way that she is has got to where she is. Mm. It is her superpower. Yeah, that's what she says, isn't it? Yeah. She's able to say these things because this is wrong. So I've got to say this. She's not mm. saying, this is wrong, but I'm only young and I live over here and I haven't got a, I shouldn't have a voice. She's just saying, no, this is wrong. So I'm going to say it, which was amazing. Whereas I think it was Melanie Sykes is she talked about how she couldn't read auto cues. I think it was Melanie Sykes. There was a couple of things she said, I struggled with this and I struggled with that. Yeah. So that was quite, I found, I think, it, I think it was it was her or Christine, but I can't remember which one. One of them struggled and it was quite interesting. We got one who's, this is my superpower, and others where they've identified where it has been a barrier for them. Yeah. And it's all different. This is the bit where it splits from the gay narrative because being gay is a difference. It's a different sexuality. I don't think there's anybody around now who would say that gayness was an illness or a disability. Whereas being autistic is very different from that. When I was, there, there is a, there's a journey that a lot of autistic people go on and, and post-diagnosis. So this is a journey that's common to people who understand their diagnosis, which is that, let me see if I can remember it. I really should, because it's the one that I wrote about in The Subtle Spectrum. So first of all, you have a feeling that you're different. It's like stages, you know, like the stages of grief or yeah. the stages of alcohol addiction, but like a positive version. I need one that this is not a bereavement or an addiction, but like, first of all, there's that awareness that you're different. Then there's a realization that that difference is a type of difference. You know, you, you've got that feeling I'm different. And then you realize, ah, you know, it's that sort of different. I'm autistic. And then there's an acceptance of that. So for a while, you're like, well, I'm, I'm autistic, but I don't want to be, you know, and I'm autistic, but that's a bad thing. And I've been told that's a bad thing, or I'm autistic and it means this, and I'm not that. So I can't be autistic because autistic is that, and that's not me. So there's difference, awareness, acceptance. Okay, this is me. And then once you've gone, this is me, you have a look around at the world and go, hang on a minute, this is not set up right. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's coming for me. That's why this is difficult. So there's like like a... You often end up, the last bit is a negative bit because it is, this is me. Then you've just gone, oh. Oi. Yeah, there's a recognition that things are not set up how they need to be. And then the last bit is the claiming of identity. And that's the bit when you go, yeah, this is me and this is okay. And that's when you march down the street and wave the pie flags, isn't it? As I was going through that journey, the thing that stopped me over and over again from the acceptance part, because, you know, there are some people who will be listening to me talk thinking, well, she doesn't sound very autistic. You know, and I also, if you're just listening to me, I also don't look very autistic. Maybe I do, but that's the thing. Oh, you don't look autistic. That's a classic microaggression towards the autistic community. They will, you know, they'll be listening to me like, well, it's not that sort of autism. It's not, she's not autistic. And I have worked with people who face far more challenges and barriers to access than me. People who don't have access to communication, who share the same diagnosis as me. And I'm very aware that 
they are disabled. You know, and you could argue that it's a socially constructed disability, that it's a disability caused by the misunderstandings around them, not caused by themselves. Yeah. But I wonder if that does them a disservice because we have this medical model of disability and the social model of disability. And the medical model of disability says there's something wrong with you. You know, your legs don't work. You're broken. And the social model of disability says you are different and there's something wrong with society because you're supposed to be a part of society. And if your legs don't work, you're only disabled if we don't put in ramp access and give you a wheelchair. Once you've got a wheelchair and ramp access, you're as able as the next person. Your ability is contextual to your environment. And so if you experience disability, it's because your environment is set up wrong. And that's a really empowering statement and standpoint, but it doesn't always serve the people who it's arguing for. Like I have a friend who suffers from chronic pain and she's like, I am in pain. This is not a social <laughs> phenomenon. I'm in pain. You can give me medication for it and the pain gets better, but I'm still in pain and I want to be respected as somebody who is in pain, who is disabled. I am disabled. And so in my head, as I approached acceptance, I was thinking, is this a disability? Or is this difference? You know, I would say I mainly experience it as a difference, but there are definitely situations that I experience where I am disabled. It's really hard for me to acknowledge that because I am a capable person. And when I meet those situations, it would be easier to do the with than to go, well, that's nothing to do with me. That's not, but that's just like some weird things just happened in life that meant that I couldn't speak or. I couldn't move. That's nothing to do with me. This difference bit, this quirkiness, that's fine. I'm happy with that. But, And I think the challenge to the autistic community is to recognize that this is both. This is a difference and a disability. And we all experience it as difference and disability. And that that's a valid identity as well. But that's a bigger challenge. I, th I don't think we're there yet. I think we're just, at the moment, we're like, Person first language, please, and acceptance. And we'll get along with that in a little while. It's interesting. You talked about a lot of the time, as you said, that disability is often a social thing. We're not set up to include you. Yeah. And if we make those adjustments and you're included, then it's not really a disability. A couple of months ago, I, I had one of those clickbait articles on Facebook. It was about Sweden. I clicked on it. Had to have a I started scrolling through it and I was just list reading all these things, all these benefits of being in Sweden. This sounds like autistic heaven. Yeah. It was really interesting the way they structure things, yeah, yeah. their expectations, the social constructs of Sweden. I was like, Yeah, I lived in Germany for two years and I was less autistic in Germany because of the setup there. And I talked to Fintan Oregan about doing a podcast. I said, can we do a podcast called Swedish Autistic? He's like, well, I get what you mean, but no. I did a five-minute bit of research, and the level of diagnosis of autism in Sweden and here is basically the same or indifferent type thing. But I was thinking, I bet there is less support needed. I bet there's lots of changes. And I found it fascinating as I read these things. It was a clickbait article, so it might have had various things wrong. and They, they probably sensationalized things. But just the things I was literally going, this would benefit my nephew. Mm. This would be amazing for him. Yeah. The Germans are much more direct. I mean, this is a 
huge brushstroke about Germans and all Germans yes. are different and all of that. But these cultural stereotypes exist because we are communities and just the way that your like your family will have things in common, your little community that you live in locally will have things in common, your bigger communities have things in common. And Germans are much more direct in the way they speak. They say what they think, they tell you what they think. And that can come across as rude to English society where you're much more likely to fudge what you say and not express your honest opinion. And Germans were wonderfully direct. So I wasn't spending my time wondering if I'd missed you know, stuff that was hidden between the lines in conversation, I was just told. <laughs> yeah, I found it absolutely fascinating. And I would describe Germans as efficient. Yeah. So if you, and same with, I think the Swedish is, they, don't, they didn't do small talk. They just didn't do small talk. It was, this is what we need to do. That's what I'm saying. We haven't got time to that. I'll talk about, we're not going to spend an hour today talking about the weather. There's no benefit. We haven't got time for that. And it was all about how, yeah, friends, and it was just, yeah, it was really fascinating. And it is, as you said, the social constructs are what impacts you. And we are, I think we are both lucky. We're in control of our world. Yeah. In a lot of ways, we can choose what we do. Whereas I think there's a lot of people who are having to fit into companies and blocks of flats or situations that, yeah, doesn't suit them. Yeah, currently I meet a lot of families who have an autistic child and they're usually upper end of primary school, sort of eight, ten years old, and they've basically reached their limit of being able to handle school. And I've met wonderful schools. I met this amazing school. They had their head teacher, they had the Senko, they had the teacher and the learning support assistant who were around this child, all of them, came out of school for the day to meet me, which shows, you know, a level of commitment within that school to release all of those staff because they all wanted to provide for this child and they'd made every adaptation that you could imagine. And they were like, we want to help her. We want her to be here. She's a valuable part of our community. And we talked through it all. And at the end of the day, what it boiled down to was that she was in a class with 30 other children. And if they wanted her to be there, she needed less, you know, then they needed to get rid of some of the other children because she's never going to be able to handle that many people. And when I say that, I worry that would be heard as a low aspiration for her. She was very capable. She was very brilliant. She can do extraordinary things. The request to spend, you know, what is it, 30 hours a week at school, something like that, in a room with 30 people that you didn't choose who were all the same age as you is a request that's never made of you again in adult life. You know, I struggled in that environment enormously. I have never in my adult life had to be in that situation. And and you're so out of control. Like you don't get to choose what you do. You don't get to choose who you sit next to. It's an endurance. And she'd broken. She wasn't going to be able to do it anymore. It is it's purely a confirmation motorway that they have to fit in. And as you said, you, you've you got 30 children who are going to end up being 30 different jobs, 30 different personalities, 30 different home lives, 30 different interests, and they've all got to find a norm that they can coexist with. But yeah, I've, I never sit in a room with 30 people unless I go to a conference. No, yeah, I, I do it then. But as an adult, you also learn social etiquette for certain situations. So you wouldn't just shout out in the middle of a restaurant when you see your friend on the other side. You'd get up and walk over. 
So there's so many things you learn as an adult through osmosis and situations and just learning that, again, just wouldn't happen. So even if you're in a room with 30 people as adults, it would be nothing. Yeah, it still wouldn't be. It wouldn't be like school, would it? No. No. People wouldn't steal your pencil. <laughs> no, there's a lot more. There's respect. There's the boundaries, there's the understanding. And, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's an easier one, isn't it? There's more rules to understand and latch onto and procedures to follow. And there's etiquette given to, like that thing you say about going to the conference. I have clothes that I wear when I go to a conference. Those are my going to my conference clothes. I have clothes that I wear, you know, to be a parent. Those are my parenting clothes. And I put on these different uniforms in accordance to the different roles that I enact. But I think the link between those children who we were talking about the language that gets used. So the language that would get used for them is that they would be people with low functioning autism and I would be somebody with high functioning autism. And this is also language that the autistic community reject because the high functioning label <laughs> for starters, lots of us don't feel particularly high functioning as you're like trying to work out where you put your pen or, you know, find your house keys. I don't feel like a particularly high functioning person, but it disrespects the very real challenges that we face. And to underline those in recent years, being autistic has threatened my life twice, has threatened the life of my baby. In past years, it has put me in danger of abuse, both within relationships and sexual abuse. It's, you know, it's not a little thing in my life. It has a very big impact in my life. That's not to say it's a negative thing in my life, but saying that I'm high functioning sounds like, you know, I got off without, you know, I got off scot-free. And actually, no, I, I pay a, a reasonable price here. But also saying low functioning totally disrespects the ability of people described as low functioning autistics, who are usually people who have, it's often not the autism that's coming into play there. It's often a sort of a sustained trauma. You know, if you're somebody who struggles in that social environment and you're repeatedly being asked to go into that environment, what you experience is a sustained trauma and you have the sort of manifestations that anybody would have if they experienced that that disconnect with communication and some of the most powerful changes that I've seen in the lives of young people who are described as complexly autistic or profoundly autistic or low functioning autistic has been when autistic adults have been brought in to support them or to give advice and I'm not advertising my services here because I'm not one of those autistic adults that does that. I do have chats with people all the time. So if I'm useful, I'm very happy to chat to people, but it's not a professional thing that I do. Whereas there are professional autistics who do that and their insight is extraordinary because they have lived that experience and they've got brains that are functioning in a similar way. And as different as I might appear to somebody who's on a different part of the spectrum, actually the underpinning, just the mechanism of your mind is really surprisingly similar. And when I chat to families, when I came out, because we were talking about identity, I came out as autistic and it was a big deal for me to come out as autistic. And when I did that, my biggest hesitation for doing that was that I would, in speaking out, take away from the experience of people who live more challenged lives than me. And it was that community that celebrates it the most you know I have messages with parents they say I heard you articulate this thing and I think that's what's going on for my child but
but they would never have been able to say it. And I would never have been able to see it because it's not something that would go on for me. But because I've heard your explanation, you've given me a lens to look at my child through. And now I get what's, you know, I get why they're not putting their shoes on or something like that. Definitely. So there is a, is a really good um, sort of storyboard cartoon by a lady called Rebecca Burgess called Understanding the Spectrum, which is a nice little cartoon drawing of two children and the issues of saying very autistic, not a little bit autistic, and all the dangers and the whole thing of it's a colour wheel. And I really loved that description because I think, I think the more people who get the diagnosis, the more people who come out as being autistic, the more... It's like literally, it's like going to the London Flower Show. Yeah. There's so many flowers. They're all different. They're all beautiful. They're all amazing and in different ways. And that's the thing. It isn't like we're all going to be like Rain Man or we're all going to be like that child from Mercury Rising, I think was the other one. Mm, Yeah, I don't watch enough television to know. (laughs) That was a Bruce Willis film, probably late 90s, I think, where a child who was non-verbal but saw a word search or crossword puzzle and just solved it and phoned the number. Yeah. Problem is it was the NSA and it was an unsolvable thing and he's just cracked this code and they had to, it was you kind of see these couple of things and go, oh well, that's what that's what people with autistic are. Yeah. Well you're not like that. You're not like Rain Man, so you can't be autistic or you're not that autistic. Yeah. Yeah. There's thinking of memes, there's one by identityfirstautistic.org that's called Neurology is not an accessory. And they've got the different language so they've got suffers with autism they've got like a little knife stabbing a stick man and the knife is colored in the rainbow colors on the spectrum and the little stick man is surfing on a surfboard that looks like it's rainbow color person with autism where it's a little bag it's an accessory and then autistic person where the person is the rainbow colors themselves and that's a nice little clear one i'll tweet it at some point <laughs> and one thing i always see there's very it's been various series we've talked about rain man as mercury rising there was, I think the A Word was a UK drama series. And there's one in America called, I think it's called Atypical. Yes, yeah. And of course, Sheldon on the Big Bang. And Sheldon. And I hate the Big Bang, but I've watched (laughs) Young Sheldon and I really love that. But I like Atypical. Uh, Yeah, I saw the first series of the A Word, I think. But I don't get enough time for television watching and you watch it, and I know what you've got to sit there is, and the first thing that you'll see as soon as this series comes out or a film comes out is the first thing you'll see is I'm autistic and that doesn't represent me. Yeah. There's generally, there'd often be backlash. That's great. That's awareness raising, isn't it? And then you've got these people trying to find, and sometimes the organisation have done a really bad job, but sometimes they sit there and go, yes, it doesn't represent you, but actually here's all the research we've done, here's all the autistic people we've done, and here's all the people on the cast who are autistic. Yes. That's the stuff. And I love that. Pablo, the children's cartoon, Pablo, who's the little main character in that is autistic. The amount of autistic people they have working on that is spectacular and they have input into what the storylines are. And that's all. I love the way it's presented because it's presented not as a spectacularizing of the difference or a pathologizing of the, oh, isn't it tragic? It's just presented with curiosity. Like, oh, look at this is interesting. This is different. Let's let's find out about this. I find it interesting is you have all these characters who he is an autistic character or she is an autistic character, and the whole part is they it's part of the story. Yeah. Them being autistic. But it's interesting as you get your autism dar 
and then you start watching programs. Yeah, oh yeah, they're in other programs too, aren't they? You start going, ooh. I mean, if you look at like Sherlock Holmes. I'm having Hermione. Yes. But also you generally think of most of those police detectives, yeah. you know, the one who's really successful at their job, they're what, they've divorced again. Yeah. They work ridiculously. All, all these things. On very upset. Yeah. Strong, Are you sense going, right and wrong. <laughs> it's actually part of the pathology of autism. It's one of the diagnostic criteria is that you might think other people are autistic and that's considered, it, it's a pathologized thing. So that's a sign that you might have this defect. Whereas neurotypical people do that all the time, don't they? They think other people are neurotypical and that's just fine. That's not a problem there. I'm pretty sure I over autistic DAR people. I'm picking out. Again, I'm going to go back to the word spectrum. Mm -hmm. And there's you, you, you autism DAR from what you see, not what they're masking and hiding. It's, it's, you can only do it on what you see and what you know of them and their experiences. But there's a lot of people who you probably could go back a very long time and go, yes, that would explain that, and that would explain that. It's not something being around because there's a lot of talking about the levels of diagno autistic diagnosis and a certain vaccine that's definitely caused it, and it was definitely this, or it's, it's, it's a new thing, so it must be something we're doing. Well, actually, it's probably been around for a lot longer. Oh, We yeah. just didn't understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly been around for plenty of time. Neurotribes is an amazing documentation of the history of autistic presence culture. And if you look at the genetics, it's associated with around 100 genes. They're all old genes. They're not defects. They're just a natural part of genetic diversity, neurodiversity, hence the term neurodiversity, like biodiversity as a celebration. And the reason that things like this survive in our population is because they have survival value. So this is a brain type, and it's the type of brain that probably did invent stuff long ago. It's probably the type of brain that did a lot of religious thinking. You'll spot us once you know what you're looking for. But I think to sort of bring it back round, if you were listening to this and thinking, well, what do I say? How do I use this language? I was talking to some students who were putting on an autism awareness week about the language that they were planning on using. And they were saying, well, it's so confusing because there's so many different opinions and we can't, we're trying to balance what we say so that we match all these different opinions. And this is not a situation where you are looking to be equal to all the different, you know, it's not a meeting of what would be an equivalent situation. People who like different sorts of music or having a party and we decide to play one of each track. It's not a meeting of equal opinions. Some of these terms are harmful and some of them are positive. And then it sounds like an overreaction because it's like, well, it's just a little word. You know, it's not, it's a microaggression. And that the micro is significant. It's just a tiny little thing. And people are worried about causing offense. And I can't say who will be offended and who won't be. But most people are not, there she goes, but I will. Um, but most people, know your intention you know if you say the wrong you know if you get your words slightly wrong people won't mind I'm not as an autistic person I'm not going to be mortally offended by you saying describing me as a person with autism you know I've done podcasts before and I say I'm autistic on the podcast and then I get written up in the little description that goes with it as Joanna with autism I mean like oh my sidekick but I'm not 
upset about that. I understand that this is a journey that we're all on, but it is a journey and it has a destination. And this part where we're muddled about the language that we're using doesn't mean we should, you know, just quit the journey altogether. People get very agitated when they feel like they're being told what to say because you want to be free to use your language as you choose and you get the political correctness gone mad and all of this we should and you think it is all a part of that isn't it and that political correctness gone mad I remember hearing a guy on the radio talking about it he said I'm from Pakistan and when I was a kid the teacher called the register with the other children's names and then called Paki for me and that doesn't happen anymore because political correctness has gone mad. You know, it's good that we are moving in this direction. It's a faff and it's, it, it's like this is the hill on the journey, isn't it? We could sit at the bottom and go, oh, I don't want to go up the hill. It's difficult going up the hill. I do, don't know which way to go up the hill. It's confused. But it's worth climbing that hill because the end of this journey is identity and acceptance. And the key thing with the identity is that yields belonging. And that's your like higher level inclusion. I would, I'd be interesting if you could graph the age range who use the phrase political correctness gone mad. Political correctness gone mad. I'm not saying many people under 30 use it. No. And I'm not saying lots of people over 60 use it. Generation but... Z are really interesting in how they understand identity because a lot of yeah. my generation understand identity. And I'm sort of in my 40s for people who can't see the wrinkles. A lot of my, not that my many. generation understand identity as, as being about them. You know, when somebody else claims their identity, the response to that is personal from that. How can I? Um... So, for example, this is a really touchy subject to go into. But when people say, I'm trans, the, re the rejection of that, the people who speak against that are people who are worried about what toilets they get to use. They're not worried about what toilets the trans person gets to use. It's about them. It's about their access. And so my generation understand identity as being about them. When somebody else says, I am this, it's, and it's that thing because identity isn't a solo thing. When you define yourself, you're saying, I am this thing and I am not that thing. And so when I define myself, say, I am this, I'm also saying that like, you're not this or you are this. So as I define my identity, I also am I'm saying something about you. And my generation get very het up on the bit that's being said about them. Whereas Generation Z, who are the young people coming through, the people in their like 20s now, they totally get it. They're like, oh, you're that. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me about that. What's that like for you? I'm this. And they've got so many identifiers. It's boggling. I, I did. A, I looked up recently. I found 54 identifiers for gender. And that wasn't the highest count. You're like, I'm very willing to go with that stuff. Like boy, girl, intersect. I can do three. <laughs> I haven't got 54. Yes. But Generation Z are like, fine, 54. Tell me about it. I'm curious about you. And that's a nicer, nicer um set of people to meet but I, I find interesting the whole identification and thing is it's in reality it's a social construct in reality because you're finding in how you fit in with the society around you well, i'm not that but i am this and i fit in this and i fit in nicely and it is quite an interesting when I, cause I, I i'm the same generation as you and i sit there and again you sit there and you're going oh why and, I'm, and I'm quite good i sit there and i kind of watch myself so i go oh i feel this why do i feel this yeah 
why am I, it's got nothing to do with me. I can look and I sit there and I've got, why do I, why have I felt, it's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. Why am I feeling this? And I've, I sit there and worked out when the whole, the, instead of calling, you might decide I, I, I'm Joanna and my pronoun is there. I'm like, yeah. Why? And I'm like, what does it matter? It's not my choice. She's got a reason, which I don't understand for that. And she probably doesn't want to share it. She might want to share it, but she just wants to be called there. So no skin off my nose. Does it hurt yeah. me? And the fact when you got married, you went from a miss to a missus and your surname changed. Well, I want to call you by miss and your old sir. No, we've grown used to you for years, changing how we call things on based on get, women getting married. Mm. You're now what miss this, you're now a missus this. What's the difference between calling a miss, a missus, an MX, an IND? It's, it's not, I've learned. Yeah, I, I kind of went from you. It was about me. And I've gone, it's nothing to do with me. And it's been very interesting. One thing I just want to touch on, because we're wrapping up yeah. time, and you talked about autism awareness coming up month. Yeah. The jigsaw piece. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's not a light I've got to touch on the jugs. I, I know I'm going to do a short version. <laughs> But I just want to highlight people are the still using piece. it. I see. I know yes. people who do really, you know, good training who still use the jigsaw piece symbol. And if if you don't know why Jane's Joe's going, what, <laughs> what, why is she? What? Sorry, what? What's wrong with the jigsaw piece? Google it. There's loads. There's loads yeah. out there. But basically, it's kind of, um, if you look at a jigsaw piece, there's a piece missing. There's extra bits added on. And all these, there's whole visual things around it. And, and I think the I think NAS used to use it, didn't they? And they yeah, moved on. It, it was, it, our understanding of autism has changed enormously. And previously, it was viewed as a, a tragedy, a disability, something that was wrong with you, something that needs to be fixed. And the jigsaw piece comes out of all of that and it was perpetual, you know, there's, it's a sign of old times and it's a sign of a lack of awareness. But if you, I'm thinking about the children that I meet who get described as profoundly autistic. If you speak to their families, they don't want those children different. They know their children to be lovely and perfect and, you know, they'll talk about them being pure or good or otherworldly, like they're almost these little angelic beings. What they want is for those children not to suffer, to not be distressed, to not be put in situations that cause them to be self-injurious or violent. They're not asking for the child to change. They, they love their child as is they as autistic they want the stuff around them to change and part of changing the stuff around them is changing how we are viewed and how we are understood and how the differences you know like sensory differences and things like that social differences are understood and respected and I actually did a series of free training videos on YouTube on my YouTube channel that were aimed at Senkos and that look at some of the just simple things. Like it, it happened because I saw a tweet. Somebody's child has been set a target by their Senko at school to make eye contact. And bless the teacher, they were like, I think this is wrong, but I can't put my finger on why. And it's that we're right at that change. That teacher, had got, she knew that something wasn't quite right about that, but she couldn't articulate what. And so it's a little series of just seven minute videos that articulate some of those things. We're in the process of changing. 
we're on a journey and it's good for us all. So yeah, if you if you can go, what's wrong with the jigsaw? Do your research. It's kind of there are bits wrong with that jigsaw. There's bits missing. Yeah, don't light anything up blue. <laughs> That's the other one. Um, the the jigsaw having to fit in, which means you only have to be a certain shape to fit in, or or you might feel that the child is the jigsaw and you're trying to fix these missing pieces. There's so many symbolic reasons it's wrong. And as Joanna says, it is you don't want to change the children. You want to remove the barriers for the children. And sometimes there's strategies for them, but a lot of the time it's actually the school environment doesn't work. And when they leave school, they won't be in that environment again. So, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a case that if a child doesn't fit in a class with 30 children, it shouldn't mean that the expectations and the opportunities for that child are reduced. It shouldn't be a case of if you're not in a mainstream school, you're not doing up to nine GCSEs or you're not doing this. It shouldn't be a case of, oh, you're in a specialist setting, we'll do functional maths with you. Yeah. It's like, no. I can't cope with 30 children in the class who are all different and don't follow rules. If you put me in a class with 10, 15 children who follow the rules, I'll probably do better yeah, than I'll that. Yeah, I'll do lot. 12 GCSEs. <laughs> <laughs> but and we're not there in that. So there's a lot of things which need to change. We're getting there. We are getting there. We're much further along. There's lots of things. And I do think any every single voice, same as being, um, being gay and Pride Month, the more voices, the better. Yeah. And look for, at the organisations. Look to see whether they're autistic-led, whether they have autistic voices within them. Because if you were watching a organisation campaign for black rights and it was staffed entirely with white people, or for women's rights staffed entirely by men, you would have questions. It's not to say that a group of men couldn't campaign for, for women's rights, perfectly capable, but you would have a lot more questions of them that you wanted answering before you listened to what they were saying than you would for a group of women campaigning for women's rights. And there are some big organizations that use autistic people, but were only willing to use and listen to them a certain extent. And there are some amazing activist organizations led by autistic people. And there are some phenomenal autistic people providing services for whatever the correct term would be for those who lead the most challenged lives. And one to look at is Anne Menmott on Twitter, who is just phenomenal in her tweet output on this topic. And it's interesting when you're talking about that, the Senko had set a target. I just went, I know what this is. <laughs> I just, was you literally... the target was, you'll be neurotypical. You'll just be more neurotypical. Yes. Could you just get on with not being autistic it's, now, please? They set a target. It's going to be eye contact. It's going to be yeah. eye contact. It's always, and it is. It, it, and you can get, you know, you can make them do it. It's like if you are, it's like if you asked a cat to be more dog, you know, cats wag their tails when they're angry. Dogs wag their tails when they're happy and they experience a miscommunication. We don't blame that miscommunication on either party. But at the moment, with autistic brains and neurotypical brains, we're having a similar miscommunication, but we're going, well, you know, you shouldn't be a cat. We're all dogs. Come and be a dog. It's much better being a dog. Act a bit more dog and you'll get on better. In the and just imagine, you could probably train a cat to act fully dog, you know, to wag its tail when it was happy and purr when it was angry. Would you have a healthy, happy cat? You know, you'd just destroy its mental health, wouldn't you? So you see progress in these targets when children are young. Oh, he's making great eye contact. He's doing, he's, he's almost normal now. And then poof, when they're a teenager. Yeah. 
So, yes, again, going back to, we talked about some therapies earlier and doing some research. Again, doing research. If your child is autistic, they are autistic. Don't make them conform. It can leave, especially if you're trying to get rid of things like stimming and things like that. Yeah. You're getting rid of a release. It can have lots of mental issues and it's, it doesn't end well. I think there's a, I don't want to hide, but there's a high, high level of suicide for people, yeah. for autistic yeah, people. Yeah, we are more at risk of death by suicide. We are more at risk of abuse. We are more at risk of being unemployed or underemployed. Loads of it. And it's not that autism causes those things. It's that being a minority population that experiences prejudice causes those things. Yes. So thank you for coming on the show Thanks today. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Um, you've given me some link to shares. I'll share those in the show notes and your contact details. And you'll find those wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find the links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast, and on Facebook and Instagram, The Sendcast. And please share, tell everyone else about The Sendcast. At us on, the Send, on, the, on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere. Let others know and let's share the message of The Sendcast with as many people as possible. And before we go, I'd just like to remind you to check out the Training for Education website. You'll find a number of the guests on the Sendcast are speakers at our virtual Send conference. Joe has recorded a session for us recently. So, or some of them have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to our Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual SEND conferences, future or past, by using the code SENDCAST10. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the SENDCAST. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Bye. Bye.